0: See, if if you all would have a little more enthusiasm when you see me, (laughs) life would just go better for you, I'm telling you right now. I didn't know what to expect, they just said, You gotta hear Caden's intro. I love him. I love him. And you can take lessons from him. Good morning, everyone. Ushers, come forward. We're sharing our offering together. You give. Thank you. Thank you for giving. Whether it's weekly or monthly, however you do it, thank you. You hear all the time ministry happens because of it. And so thank you for participating in our offering together. A couple of quick things. uh, trunk or treat last weekend. I just want to say a thanks. Uh, To all of you who participated, uh, a parking lot down on North Avenue full of uh, vehicles that were decorated and trunks full of candy, giving candy out to kids. Uh, The report we had was just literally quite hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of kids showed up for candy. Uh, We already had a ton of candy uh, given, probably more than ever, but uh, the numbers were so great we could see ourselves running out. So we ran to the local Hannaford, cleaned them out, and any place else we could. We stole candy from other houses. Anything we needed to do, we got it done. Uh, But my thanks for doing that. These are just tangible ways of a church being in a community making a difference in that community. So thanks for, for being a part of that. You've already heard a number of things taking place. Uh, as far as our M25 food drive today. Always it's there. It's the means in which we can give to help people. Um, Operation Christmas Child, a table in the back with boxes. You know, my goal would be every single family that calls this church or home would take a box. Not hard. It uh, doesn't take much to fill it. Take a box. Be a part of that. Gift cards. Uh, coming to the end of being able to collect money for gift cards. Uh, our goal, we are, we have a window typically between $11,000 and $15,000 is what we receive every year for gift cards. All of those gift cards go into local schools uh, to help families in need. Uh, participate in all of those different ways in which you can be a part of it. You heard Night to Shine coming back February here, bringing it back on site in many ways, hundreds of volunteers for that. So many ways in which to be a part of the life of the church. Last one, next week, our baptismal service. If you've not been a part of one of our baptismal services, make sure you're here next week. It's an incredible event, an incredible time, and you'll feel real bad if you're not there to be a part of it and see all that's happening. So all that's just a bunch of stuff taking place. Place. i, I got to tell you, I miss you when I'm not here. I miss preaching when I'm not here. You don't have to say anything in response to that, especially if you don't mean it. But I, 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 I miss not being here. Uh, Pastor Matt, as always, did a great job. All of our pastoral staff that will jump in and speak do a great job. Last week, I was gone because I was at a board meeting for our, our denomination, uh, you may or may not recall that i 'm on the the Board of Directors for the christian and missionary alliance that 's the denomination we 're part of, and the Board of Directors oversees the entire denominational function, if you will, in the United States. I actually serve on the executive committee of that team, so we 're part of i 'm a part of a lot what 's going on. It's been my joy to be able to serve there, which will be 18 years actually when I'm all done with this next term. I had a term previous and a break and then another term. It's been my joy to do that, to serve there. I get to represent you as a church. I get to represent Alliance Churches as we kind of chart direction, trying to see who we want to be. When I stand up here and say to you, our denomination has decided we're going to be a missions organization that is willing to go and is setting our priority to go to the unreached people groups of the year. Our board would make that kind of decision to say we're going to go to the places where no one else wants to go. That's who we're going to be. So it's been my honor to be a part of that. And this past week, I just bring you a little little bit of an update for some of you who follow the Christian Mission Alliance or we we'll watch some of the video blogs our president puts out there, I want to give you a really short update about a major endeavor that we're doing as a denomination. And that has been well over a year ago now, two years ago, the president gave us a, a strategic vision that he wanted to move. He wanted to have us move our national office from Colorado Springs, sitting on the hillside overlooking um, Pikes Peak, to Columbus, Ohio. A little different view from Columbus, Ohio, than overlooking Pikes Peak. And for a lot of people, they went, Really? You're going from that view to Reynoldsburg, actually, you know, suburb, suburbia Columbus? And the answer is yes. We voted unanimously to do it. We've been acting in that direction this past year. We moved our complete office staff from Colorado to, uh, to Columbus. We have some temporary housing while we get ready to build our you know, office space, while we get ready to build a new complex. But I tell you this piece because I want you to hear. Our president had an incredible vision that we completely endorse, and that is this. He said he had a vision to say, what if we could do a national office that would be self-generating, self-supporting. So when you give a dollar to Great Commission Fund for missions, every every organization out there, a, a portion of that dollar goes to just running organization. Uh, in blue, the uh, the uh, Red Cross, a significant one, I think every dollar that goes to the Red Cross, it's pretty high. I think it's only 60 cents goes actually to where the need is because you have to run the organization. So our president's goal has been to get to a place where if you give a dollar to missions, one dollar gets to missions. You're not, run, you're not running offices and so his vision has been this to have a complex where you have a conference center that could handle four to five hundred people so we could bring conferences in from our own domination retail office space Second and third floor would be national offices, so our office staff would be there. Uh, three restaurants on site, hotel on site, uh, 100 to 200 housing units on site, and I said retail, retail shopping as well. And uh, it's a great vision, because one of the things we saw is this. Here we're a church group, and we're in an office park up on a hill where the only people you see are the people that go to your office and walk in the door and get through security. And his statement is, if we're a church organization, wouldn't it make sense to be right in the middle of the culture, right in the middle of, the, of the, the traffic? We're right in the corner where I forget there's 100,000 cars drive by every day. There'll be a coffee shop. We wanted more ethnic diversity. We were in Colorado Springs. I think we had one or two languages spoken uh, since we've moved to Columbus, Ohio. I think our ethnic diversity is up like 40%. Uh, I think we've got like a dozen languages spoken. We want to we wanna look like the body of Christ looks. And here's the exciting thing. Everything that's been Purchased. all the landsmen purchased, all the architecture work, all the building stuff that started, not one dollar has come from the Great Commission Fund. Now, independent donors have come in to say, we see this vision, we'll support it, we hope to break ground this spring for the first phase, and when it's all done, the hope will be that it will generate enough support that it supports the infrastructure, and when you give, it all goes to missions. So I want to report that, it's exciting to see it actually happening and taking place. And last note, The building we bought was a Kmart that was empty for five years. The parking lot in this area became the place for drugs and prostitution. Uh, Truck drivers would come, park their rigs, prostitutes would find it. It was a blight of the community. They couldn't sell it. They couldn't give it away. No one would take it. We came and said, hey, we'd like to do a, a church setting type of thing. And in so many places where they don't want church things there, they not only embraced us, they gave us money. They went to the state for a grant. The, the mayor of town has has not been bashful at all to be seen with us and talking about it. They got some, net, some pushback from some group and he said, stop it. They're coming. These are the groups we want to have here. So to be in a place where you're, you're, you're received and wanted... It's pretty exciting. So I I just got to be a part of the update of that. I want to pass it on because that's your denomination. It's our denomination together. Uh, While we were gone, I was coming back from that meeting is when we found out that Diane's mom was not doing well, that she was failing very quickly. Diane had the opportunity to get on the phone and talk to her mom shortly before she died and uh, shortly before mom went home to be with Jesus. Uh, and one, I would say on Diane's behalf and our family, thank you for your, your prayers and your, your thoughtful notes and, and uh, just those statements of support. It means a lot when you lose someone. But I also want to say this. Mom Burgess was her last name. Mom Burgess knew Jesus and was waiting to go home. She's been waiting to go home for years. And finally, dream come true. And I would say to any one of you, if you don't know what that dream from true looks like to you, you got to meet Jesus. And follow him. There's just something about living in this life with all the unsure stuff. If you're unsure about tomorrow, worried about the news, whatever it might be, make sure you have Jesus because everything else falls in place. And so our thanks for that. We have a funeral that will be coming up in a couple of weeks and it will be my great honor to be able to preach at my mother-in-law's funeral. She loved Jesus and it's one of those easy ones to do. So thanks for your prayers along the way. This morning, I want to continue in our series of one question. I've been gone the past couple of weeks. I've got uh, maybe one more this weekend next. And one question fits every life situation. We've talked about one question that fits every life decision. One question that if you ask it, It can save you time and tears and pain and worry and anxiety and money and headaches and heartaches. List of things. It will save you if you're willing to ask that one question. And as we have learned together, that one question is, what's the wise thing to do? The whole series is about wisdom. What's the wise thing to do? We took the next step that said that you can personalize it by saying, what's the wise thing for me to do? That's critical because you're different than I am, I'm different than you, so we got to make it personal. So what's the wise thing for me to do? And then we took one more step that said, if you really want to get it with some laser accuracy, ask this before God, Lord, in light of my past experiences and in light of my current situation I'm in and in light of my future hopes and dreams, God, what's the wise thing for me to do? And so we're going to continue in that theme this morning, and before we get into it, let me set up today's thought process. Now, I have too much material for one sermon, so I have to split it in half. You know, one would think if I have too much, I'm going to split it in half, that I would be shorter than normal. One would think that. Um, so for all of us, here's our starting point. So you've got to walk with me for a little bit to get on the same, the same page together before we get into some, some of the biblical truth here. And here's where it starts like this. So for all of us... All of us have in our lives regrets. I don't care who you are. I don't care how you come across. Every one of us has in our lives regrets. A season in time, a weekend, an event, a spring break, a relationship, a previous job, a previous decision, previous marriage, a previous city. We have things in our lives where if we could have or could go back and ask the question, what's the wise thing to do, we would do it in a heartbeat. Because I could just go back and and take that moment back. But of course, you can't go back. But we all have those things where if we could just go back and ask the question, we would do it in a second. Now, to get us started this morning, what I thought we would do is this. I'm going to have you turn to the person beside you who you probably don't know, and I want you to tell that person your most hidden secret and the thing you regret most about your past. (laughs) Ready? Yeah. And everybody's going, no, I'll leave first. So don't leave. Not going to do that, but it really ought to be a fun three, three minutes or so of us all sitting here in absolute silence. Except for then the really frightening thing is that somebody would say, you know, it's like me in the airplane, it never fails. So I sit down and someone, says, hey, can we talk? <laughs> okay, if we have to, but you're not going to say anything personal, right? You know, the, the worst fear most of us have is somebody will start telling you all that stuff. So we're not going to do that. But I do want you to begin to think about for just a moment, think for a moment one of those regrets. Just in your own heart and mind, one of those moments you wish, if you could take it back, if you could undo it, if you could go back and ask the question, just get that in your mind for just a moment. Now one of the most common thoughts that most of us think about when we think about those moments, from the vantage point we have today of looking back over time, typically in those moments we find ourselves thinking, ugh. If only I would have listened. If only I hadn't been so, what? Foolish. If only I, 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 how could I have been so blind? How could I have been so stupid? How could I have been so foolish? And just filled blank. We find ourselves saying, looking back, how could I have been so whatever? And then we tend to think on top of that, and I've said this many times in my life, I look at something in my past and I'm trying to think about how I could have been so stupid and that's followed up with a next statement that goes like this. How could I not see that coming? Do you ever have those moments where you're looking at a past moment and you're just thinking, "How, how did I not see that? How could I have not seen that coming? I should have paid attention. There were so many clues. He was acting so different. She was pulling away. Um, she wasn't herself. Or this one financially. How could I have? How could I have missed this? You know, how, how could I have not seen it coming when the guy said zero percent financing, no money down, no credit check, and then he also said this. And don't forget, the more you spend, the more you save. Man, that sounds good. The more you spend, the more you save. I'm all in. Let's just start racking up the bill because I'm have big savings. And we find ourselves caught in those moments and we think, how did I not see that coming? I should have picked up something in the interview. I should have picked up something in my kids' lives. I should have seen it coming. So here's a thought for you. If you find yourself thinking, I should have seen it coming, chances are really, really good that someone in your life did see it coming. So think about that. When you think back about the moments where you're kind of trying to figure out how you missed it, someone in your life, someone who loves you, didn't miss it. Someone along the way saw it. And so here's the key point. And in that moment, someone in your life would have seen it coming, and either you never asked them or asked their opinion, or uh, you never allowed them to share their opinion, or it might be on the other side of it, that maybe they didn't warn you because they knew that you would not listen and you've been there. You know it's true. To, you know it to be true. How many times have you had these moments where you see someone doing something and you say to your spouse or a friend, hey, you should, uh, you should go tell them. And they go, you, I'm not telling them, you tell them. Well, I'm not going to tell them because they won't listen to me. And, they, and you go, well, I'm not going to go because they're not going to listen to me. They're not going to listen to anybody. So we know that to be true, that we have these moments where we're just not, people just won't listen. But I can almost 100%, 99% guarantee you, That in the big areas of your life, when you think back and you think to yourself, why didn't I see that coming? Someone saw it coming. So here's our setup for today, our thought process for today. If both of those two statements are true, statement number one, I should have seen it coming, but I didn't. And statement number two, I see it coming in other people's lives and they don't see it. Then the question then is this, why is it That I can see trouble coming in your life, but you can't. And more specifically, the question is this How is it that you can see trouble coming in my life and I can't see it? Guys, think about that for a moment. How is it that you can see trouble coming and I can't see it? Now, remember the song by Johnny Nash, not Cash, Nash? I can see clearly now the rain is gone. I can see all obstacles in my way. The problem is, he got the words wrong. See, the words ought to be, I can see clearly now the mistakes are done. I can see all damage that's come my way. Because that's the reality. Once it all clears, now I can see the depth of my damage. Now I can see the mistakes that I've made. It's not like it's clear, now I know what to do. We, it clears, I realize what I've done. So, why can't we see it coming in our own lives? The answer, quite honestly, this is, a, is a, again, foundational point for us, is because typically in our lives, our emotions leave us blind. Let me explain that. Our emotions get in the way. Emotionally charged environments, emotionally charged moments are death traps for decision making. And the problem is, every big decision in our lives is all wrapped up in emotion. So in my life, my emotions leave me in this state of I couldn't see it coming because my emotions typically leave me blind to what's coming. But in my life, my emotions blind me. But in your life, my emotions don't blind me to see your life. That's why I do so well at telling you how to live because I'm not emotionally connected to your life, only to my life. Right? I mean, every major decision is filled with some peril of emotion. See, that's why I will do a better job managing your money than you do. Because if I manage your money for you, I don't have the emotional connection you do. There's not going to be any on-whim impulse buys with me. You say, oh, Scott, 75-inch TV just came on sale. I have to have it. And I go, nope. Why not? Because I'm not emotionally connected to it. So, no, you're not getting the TV. You see how that works? I mean, I would make far better decisions about your money than you would ever make. And the same is true for me. Marriage counseling. I don't do a lot of marriage counseling today like I used to. I did a ton of it. But I have a simple process in my marriage counseling through the years. A person comes in for counseling. A couple comes in. They get one hour. So, I tell them right from So, here, we've got one hour. You get the first 40 minutes. I get the last 20. Real simple. Go. You know, clock's running, go, got 40 minutes. Tell me anything you want, any problem you want. You tell me the issues, tell me all the stuff he does, and then you tell me all the stuff that she does. You got 40 minutes, we get close, like you got two minutes left. You're almost there. Anything else you want, like, you know, quickly will pop a couple more things in there. I say, okay, now we're done. Now I get the last 20 minutes. So here's what we're gonna do. 20 minutes, I'm gonna fix your problems. Here we go, stop it. <laughs> and they'll go, pardon, stop it. I look at her and I say, did you hear the stuff he said you did? Stop it. I look at him and said, did you hear the stuff that she said you do? Just stop it. Just stop it. Look at, I don't even need my whole 20 minutes. I mean, it's so simple. Just stop it. Now, here's the statement. Why is it that I can completely fix your marriage in less than 20 minutes, but the problems in my marriage, they go on for years? And that's true of every one of us, right? Why? Because I see so much better in your life because I'm not emotionally connected. Same with kids. How many times have I thought to myself, if that was my son that was my daughter, I'd know what I'd do, right? People looking at other kids saying, I would know what I would do if that was my son or my daughter. And then it really gets me when people who don't have children decide to speak in. I've never had children, but if I did, <laughs> this is what I would do. It's like, thank you very much. How is it they're so wise? No emotions in that, no emotionally connected. Okay, so why is seeing that what's coming so hard in our lives to see? So in our lives, why is this seeing what's coming so difficult? It's because of the emotion. Think about it. Parenting is emotional. Marriage is emotional. Relationships are emotional. Money is emotional. Career choices, they're emotional. See, it's all wrapped up in this emotion thing. So, our whole series is about wisdom. So, what we're trying to figure out is how to live as wise people, not as unwise. That's the Apostle Paul said. Apostle Paul, our very first week, the Apostle Paul said, listen, in light of all the stuff in the world, be careful how you live, live as wise, don't live as unwise. So, what does a wise person do in an emotionally charged environment? When emotionally we have either our eyes or our hearts set on something or on someone and suddenly a decision has to be made and we just can't see clearly. And we don't even know that we can't see clearly. The answer is in one word. Listen. That's going to be our theme today. Listen. Listen because what you can't see coming someone else does see coming. And the wise person will listen to what other people see and then say. So let's put this squarely on the biblical principles of Scripture. I want to look at some of the wisdom from Israel's third king, King Solomon, the son of David. Now let me give you some quick background to Solomon's reign. Because I think it just helps whenever you read the Bible to grab some pictures here. Solomon reigned in his reign as king. Solomon reigned in Israel in what we consider to be the golden age of Israel. What that means is this... This time when Solomon was king, it was a time when Israel had as much power as it would ever have. It was a time when the armies of Israel were as mighty and as strong, as as brave, and as courageous as they would ever be. It was a mighty army. It was a time where the wealth of the kingdom of Israel and the reach of the kingdom of Israel was as powerful and as profound and as great as it would ever be in history. And Solomon during this reign, the golden age, was king. And the Bible says that God gave to Solomon the gift of wisdom. You see, most of us in our lives learn wisdom the hard way. We learn wisdom through the bumps and bruises and scars of life. And years later, we can look at the different scars and say, I learned something there and I learned something there. Most of us learn wisdom the hard way, but not so with, with Solomon. God gave to Solomon the gift of wisdom. It's a little irritating, right? Right? It's kind of like the people in life that kind of go like this. And you know some of those folks. I had a guy in my church growing up. His name was Robert. Robert never took a piano lesson, never took a music lesson, couldn't read a lick of music. But if you hummed a song or played a song, he'd hear it one time and sit down on the piano and play it like it was a concert, the concert pianist. Man, that's irritating. <laughs> when you wish you could just do something, and he'd sit down and start playing this thing, and he think, where'd you get that? Just heard it. And quite literally, if you sang half the song and stopped, he would play right up to that point. He'd say... I got nothing else. What else do you have? I mean, just that kind of instant giftedness. Or those people with a math equation. You know those people where there's a math equation, complex math equation, staring at them in the face, and you're looking at it, staring at it, and they look at it and go beep, boop, boop, and they go, up, here's the answer. It's like, how did you do that? I can stare at that for months. And they look at it, and immediately they have the answer. God gave Solomon wisdom. Such wisdom that the Bible says was never seen in anyone else before him and has never been seen in anyone after him. So wise that he would hold court simply to solve people's problems. He hold court so that people could come and bring their problems and he would solve their problem for them. In fact, the Bible tells us other kings from other kingdoms, other countries would have problems they couldn't solve. They would send an ambassador, a whole team. They would load up donkeys and horses full of gold and silver and they'd send them to Solomon. They would wait for sometimes days, weeks, even months to have a short audience with Solomon and give him all this gold to give him an answer. And just a, it was a short visit because he didn't need long. He had 60 minutes. Give me 40, I'll give you 20. He didn't need time. He hear the problem, solve it, they go on their way. God gave Solomon wisdom, but not quite like I've described it. Because I described it in such a way that he got this gift and we didn't. Listen to the storyline from 1 Kings chapter 3. The most important place, most important of these places of worship was Gibeon. Now, that we're talking about there are multiple places to do worship back then. This was the most important, it says. And so the king went there and sacrificed 1,000 burnt offerings. He was sincere in his walk with God. That night, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream, and God said, What do you want? Ask, and I'll give it to you. Solomon replied, You showed great and faithful love to your servant, my father David, because he was honest and true and faithful to you, and you have continued to show this great and faithful love to him today by giving him a son to sit on his throne. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made me king instead of my father David, but I am like a little child who doesn't know his way around. And here I am in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and so numerous they cannot be counted. Give me, understand, give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So God replied, Because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice, and have not asked for a long life or wealth or death of your enemies, I will give you what you asked for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart, such as no one else has had or ever will have. And I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. And if you follow me and obey my decrees and my commands as your father David did, I will give you a long life. It's an incredible moment. Solomon already demonstrates his love for God as he goes to make sacrifices, a thousand of them, speaks to his intensity of his worship. And he goes and does that. And then God speaks to him in a dream. And God says to Solomon, ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. What would you ask for? Now, now, please know, right now you're going to go, wisdom. Yeah, yeah, right. You're only saying that because you're in church. You know you got to say the right thing. But quite honestly, here's what most of us would ask for. Whatever the current need that is greatest in your life right now, that's probably what you would have asked for. You got a bad cancer report? Oh, Lord, give me health. Financially, your back's against the wall? Oh, Lord, pay the next bill. Relational problems? Oh, Lord, heal the relationship. We would probably ask for that which is most prominent in our life in that moment. Here's Solomon, and he looks and he goes, anything? Just give me wisdom. And God grants him wisdom. And what hits me is this. The Bible says, and if you just look in even secular history books, Solomon, no one debates Solomon's real, no one debates his life, no one debates his wisdom. Solomon, the most wise person who had ever lived previous to his birth and since his birth, And it all happened simply because he asked God for it. He got wisdom simply because he asked. Do you know that you can ask for wisdom? Look at this verse in James chapter 1. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. It actually should be written. I would write it differently if it was me. I would say, you all lack wisdom. So why don't you ask God who gives generously? We all lack wisdom. But look what it says. If any of you lack wisdom. So you say something like that to someone, you say, you can ask God for wisdom. they go, well, how exactly do you ask? I want to ask the right way. Here, I'll give you a clue. Lord, in light of my past circumstances, in the light of my current situation, and in light of my hopes and my dreams for the future, Lord, what's the wise thing for me to do? Amen. You see, it's a prayer. That's how you ask for wisdom. And you ask for wisdom over and over and over again. You're not asking for all the wisdom in the world. You're asking for the wisdom in the moment of that which you face. And notice it says something there. It says that he'll give it without finding fault. God's not going to question you on this one. Just ask and he'll give it to you. Now, a side note here, I love Solomon's story, we don't have to go through it, but what happens next in Solomon's story is one of these these moments that any kid growing up in church loved this part of the story, loved it, hated it, was frightened by it, mesmerized by it, so he asks for wisdom, God gives him wisdom. The very next event in his life, he's holding court where he's solving people's problems. And here's the story. You'll recall as soon as I begin to tell it. There's two prostitutes who share a house together. Both of them get pregnant at the same time and they both have babies the same age. And one night, one of the prostitutes rolls over on her child and smothers it, wakes up and the baby's dead. So she gets up in the middle of the night, she takes her dead child, she sneaks into the room of the other prostitute who she's sharing the house with, and she takes the living baby out and puts the dead baby in its place and takes the living baby back into her room. The mother of this baby, uh, the, the, what was the living baby, wakes up to feed her child and looks and finds that her baby's dead. And of course, she's beyond beyond shocked and broken. And then she she realizes, she goes, wait a minute, this isn't my child. This isn't my baby. So she goes to the other woman and said, You switched babies. And the woman says, No, I didn't. You can't prove it. Now, what do you do? You have no DNA test. You have no matching wristbands. You have no baby footprints. What do you do? Well, you go to court. You have two people saying, it's our baby, and they go to Solomon. This is a story every, that every kid loves and hates and is mesmerized by. So they come before Solomon, and they make the case, and the woman says, you know, it's, that's my baby. The other woman says, no, it's not. She's lying. And so Solomon says to the first soldier standing by, I got to take your sword out and cut that baby in half. Now, please make sure you get the story. When we talk about that story, we can't even imagine saying something like that. So immediately we kind of go, that's just crazy. But not if you're the king, and anything you say, they just do. So when Solomon would have said to the closest soldier, take out your sword and cut the baby in half, the soldier would have gone, got it, that quickly. And immediately, you got one woman who who says, well, that's good, that's perfect, that's fair, neither one of us get a living baby. And of course, you know the story, right? The other woman goes, no, don't, don't, don't. She can have the baby, spare the baby's life. And Solomon in his wisdom stops and says, give that baby to her because that's a mother's love. I mean, it's just an incredible story and keep reading it. But what you'll see, you have all of this wisdom of Solomon and one of the greatest gifts of wisdom that we have given to us is that God saw fit to record Solomon's wisdom. So that when you're looking for wisdom, you can just start reading and you find all of these one and two liners from Solomon that are incredibly insightful now what's interesting before we get to that first verse is this the wisest man who ever lived who needed counsel from others the least of anyone else who's ever lived is the one guy who continually said seek counsel seek counsel seek counsel the guy who didn't need to seek counsel I mean, here you have this guy who, who said over and over again in, in all of his teachings, we should seek out others, seek out others. Here's a guy who didn't need anyone else who would remind us, yeah, we do. You were never so wise that you can't stand for more wisdom. So let's look at a couple of his, his great one-liners, if you will. Proverbs twelve fifteen. The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Immediately you get that. The fool doesn't need any outside advice. The fool goes, got it, I got it, I see this, thank you, thank you very much. Yeah, but let me speak into this because I see something you don't see. I got it. Thank you so much for speaking into my life, but shut up, I don't need you. That's the fool. The fool says, I can see what's coming, I see just fine, so thank you for that. But a wise person, it says, though he might believe that he has the answer, the wise person says, I got this, but you know what? Maybe I'm so close I can't see it real clearly. Maybe there's something that I just don't see coming. So the wise person, even though they have a pretty good handle on it, is smart enough to say, well, why don't you tell me what you see? Now, I wasn't going to say this because my wife's in the room. My wisest moments are when I already know what I'm going to do, why I'm going to do it, and it's the right way to do it, but I stop and I say to her, so just a hypothetical. If you were me, what would you do? And then she starts to tell me. And then you go, why didn't I think of that? How'd I miss that? Thank you. I'll I'll take it under advisement. Duly noted. Thank you very much. and go going my way. Thinking, how did I miss that? And it's not just a wife-husband deal. There are people in your life all around you if you would just ask for their advice. But fools won't because their way is absolutely right. Wise people never think that they're so wise that they don't need to listen to other people. Let's put another verse into the mix. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 22. Plans fail for lack of counsel. But with many advisors, they succeed. Now, there's something amazing about the fact that Solomon is putting this down, that Solomon is making a statement that says that your plans are gonna fail if you don't have a whole bunch of people giving you advice into the mix. Now, here's what's odd about it. This would be like someone who has the highest IQ of anyone else ever saying, yeah, I have the highest IQ of anyone who's ever lived, but I'm gonna go to first grade math just because I wanna make sure I get the basics. And he would go, what? What? doesn't make any sense. This is like the person that can hear any song and just play it on any instrument saying, yeah, but I'm going to take, you beginner piano lessons because I want to make sure I get it all right. This is the same kind of thing. This is is Solomon, the wisest man who ever lives, who's saying something to us like, listen, your plans are going to fail if you don't get a bunch of counsel and get wise advisors. The wisest man ever says, here's my advice, get many advisors. Don't go solo. Now, quick side note for you. By getting the advice of others, we're not talking about you talking to the only friend you have that agrees with you. That's exactly what we do. Oh, no, I got the advice of others. Who'd you get? Well, this person, this person. Well, don't they agree with you already? Well, yeah, kind of. That's not good advice. So Solomon gives this picture that says you're never so wise that you're going to do this on your own. Don't go solo. When you don't need to, don't. And usually we don't need to. Go seek out advice. Let's put another verse into the mix. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 20. Listen to advice and accept discipline. And at the end, you will be counted among the wise. Listen to advice and accept discipline or correction. Uh, You say, yeah, I'm going to call him back. And the friend says, I wouldn't. I'm going to call her. I wouldn't. I'm going to move in with him. We talked about it. And I think I'm going to move in with him not wise don't do it a person says hey i'm going to take this job and someone who's got some insight goes i I wouldn't take that job and then they have a comeback like this well too late because i've already accepted and i've already packed and the person with the wisdom goes well you can unpack you can unpack I i wouldn't do it and here's why listen to advice and accept counsel And then you'll be counted among the ones who are wise. Now, what's interesting about this is a little subtlety to it. He's not talking to wise people. He's talking to people that would like to be wise people. He's not saying, you people who are wise, you do this. He's actually saying this. So when you're about to make decisions, if you will seek out the wise counsel of other people, at the end of the day, you're going to be wise. And in fact, people will see you as wise. Now see, that goes against everything inside of us intuitively. Because my thought process is, if I have to ask you for advice, I'm not all that wise. Because if I'm that wise, I should figure this out myself. But look what it says. For the people that are continually asking for advice before they make major decisions, as time goes by, guess how you're viewed. You're viewed as one of the wise ones. And all you did is ask for people to speak into your life. Be sure you catch that little subtlety. You want to be wise? Ask advice. Let me get one more here. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10. Where there is strife, there is pride. But wisdom is found in those who take advice. I'll explain this a little bit. Now think about this and how true this is. Where there is strife, there is pride. So think about a parent-to-child relationship. Think about a kid to kid relationship. Think about a husband to wife relationship, wife to husband relationship. Think about a boyfriend to girlfriend relationship, coworker to coworker relationship, boss to employee. Where there is strife, there is always pride involved. Isn't that true? In every relationship, wherever there's friction, wherever there's strife, pride is always at the heart of it. But wisdom is found in those who take advice. You say, well, what's the connecting between the two? The connection is really simple. What the connection is simply that people of pride don't ask for help. People of pride don't ask for advice. People of pride don't seek out counsel. So the bottom line is, where there's going to be friction, in every relationship there's going to be friction. And wherever there's strife and friction, there's pride. But for the people who are willing to ask, and the prideful people are never willing to ask. It's that straightforward. Now what's sad about Solomon's story is how it ends. I, I wish we could just stop there. And say, Solomon, wisest guy who's ever lived. He reigned in the golden age of Israel. What a story. Well, the truth is, what a story. The story starts really well. God says you can ask for anything, and he chooses wisdom. He has it all. But if you read 1 Kings, you'll find he has more gold and more silver than you can even begin to imagine. And then Solomon begins to ignore his own advice. Um, how wise you are doesn't make any difference to the fact that you still need more wisdom. The guy who would tell people, listen, you're never so wise, you don't need other wisdom. The guy who would say that you always need wise counsel. The guy that would say over and over and over again, seek advisors, get advice, get people speaking into your life. Toward the end of his life, he decided that since he was the wisest person ever, he didn't need other people speaking into his life. He didn't need other people and he didn't need God's wisdom. And he did what many of us do or, or prone to do in that he actually undermines his own success. He undermines his own success in the process. Now, this morning, I have not told you anything so far that you didn't know or hadn't heard before. Right? I, I told you nothing new. I mean, some of you are thinking right now, oh, great, get advice from other people wow that is brilliant Scott you know did you come up with that on your own no I had to get help myself so yes you know but as you hear it no one's going yeah nothing new there we all know that what I've said we all we've heard it before and we all know it to be absolutely true and we know that because you're not stupid in fact I would say this very sincerely friends not only are you not stupid but we're smart We are incredibly intelligent people. So then here's the question I would pose to you. Then why is it that such smart people ignore a principle that is so apparent and so useful in their life? Why is it that smart people who would hear all this and go, yeah, I got it. Why is it smart people wouldn't use that truth, wouldn't apply that truth? I'll give you a couple of reasons. One might be this because for many of us, we already know what the wise people in our lives are going to say and we just don't want to hear it. So for numbers of us, we don't ask the question because we already know what the answer is, and I don't like the answer, so I don't hear the answer. A lot of us live our whole lives in isolation because we just don't want to hear what is the right thing to do. We already know it; we just don't care. Solomon has a name for people like that. We talked about a couple weeks ago. He would say, if you're a person that knows what the right thing is to do and you won't do it, or you know what someone's going to tell you is going to be the right thing to do, and you won't ask them or listen to them, he says you're a fool. And don't be offended by me he said it he said you're a fool one reason that smart people ignore sound advice is because they really aren't that smart after all that's one reason another reason i think it is that we don't take advice from others or listen to other people is because we oftentimes have this viewpoint in our lives it's none of your business somebody wants to speak into my life and my attitude is it's none of your business it's my money It's my marriage. They're my kids. It's my life. It's my career. It's my decision. I'll choose. It's my private decision, not yours. But out. Mind your own business. Now, here's the problem with that private personal decisions never stay private or personal. That's the problem. Just think about this for a moment. Every public scandal. Every public embarrassing story, every public shameful story, all of those stories all began with a private, personal decision. And I'm not just talking about the newspapers and the political people. I'm talking about us. Every one of those public, humiliating, embarrassing moments all started with a private, personal decision. Personal decisions don't don't stay... personal or private a third reason why i think that we probably reject advice maybe some maybe this one captures both of the other ones and that is it's just pride it's just pride pride basically says to me no one's going to tell me what to do i'm an adult i'm smart i know what i'm doing just a moment i'm gonna have zach and, and trevor come out and lead us in a in a closing song together Uh, An old hymn that speaks to our need for God in our lives. But before that, let's wrap up here and get some things in place for us. Let me close by reminding us how pride usually shows up in our lives and keeps us from the best life that God has for us. I'll give you two statements. The first statement is this, success is intoxicating. Statement number one. Statement number two, failure is humiliating. And those two statements speak to the issue of pride and they speak to a key reason why for many of us we will never seek out the advice we need or listen. You see if you're super successful or even marginally successful you have the idea I have the idea I know I know look at me I'm doing pretty well I know I know this stuff I don't need you. Ever been in a setting? I've been in this cabin a couple of times in my life, serving in different places where you've been in the room with extremely, extremely wealthy people. Years ago, some of you won't even recognize the name now, but years ago I was in a room with Lee Iacocca. Lee Iacocca is this multimillionaire who saved Chrysler. I happened to be in a room with him. And what's interesting, when he walked in the room, the whole room focuses on him. And I'm sitting there saying, I got more wisdom than he's got. And not one person cared about my wisdom. If he said it, everyone was going to run and do it. Why? Because success is intoxicating. And when you see someone has been successful, you just got to go, oh, I just got to do what they do. I got to listen to them. And what happens in our own lives is when I'm feeling successful, I typically have the attitude that I know everything I need to know and I really don't need you. And then you bring into this failure is humiliating. And many of us can relate to this one, maybe better than the first one. Because when you fail, and you make the wrong choice, and you'll fall flat on your face, it is so humiliating. And when that happens, you have the attitude that says, I don't need a counselor. I'm not reading a book. I just want to go hide. And I don't need any of you speaking into my life. I'll figure it out on my own. Because the humiliation piece says, I just don't want them to look at me because I'm struggling looking at myself. And so we isolate ourselves. And in doing that, we will not seek advice. We will not listen because humiliation makes us go hide. So success is intoxicating. Failure is humiliating. And both of them work in our lives counterproductively to keep us from listening. So I should have seen it coming. Well, somebody did see it coming. Somebody can see what you can't see. Will you invite them to speak into your life? There are people around you who care about you, insightful followers of Jesus who can speak into your life if you let them. But I would also say we've got this book called the Bible that is full of insights if you let God's word speak into your life. I love this old hymn, Be Thou My Vision. It has a lot of the old English these and nows, but it speaks very clearly of the simple thing that God, you need to be my eyes because you see what I can't see coming. Stand, please, we'll sing and then we'll close.
1: Be thou my vision O Lord of my heart, not be all else to. my wisdom. Be thou my wisdom and thou my
0: is anyone can have 20, 2020 vision looking backward. Only God has 2020 vision looking forward. So Lord, in light of my past mistakes, and in light of where I'm currently at right now, and Lord, I have hopes and dreams for a future. Based on all of that, what's the wise thing for me to do? and he'll answer you according to James without fault you know what that means right if you get on your knees and pray and say Lord I want you to bless the fact I'm going to buy a ticket for the Powerball today (laughs) chances are good he just might find fault he might say I can tell you a better way to take your two dollars why don't you invest it in my kingdom but if you ask for wisdom it's an automatic granted no debate, no fault finding. Ask me for wisdom every day and in every situation and I'll give you more wisdom than you know what to do with. Ask him. Father, dismiss us in your grace. We have so many things in our lives that we tend to take on our own and go our own way when quite honestly, you just stand there waiting for us is to ask. So help me to ask to take the things that I face and say, Lord, what's the wise thing for me to do? I want to be counted one day as being wise. So help me to listen to you and help me listen to others. Dismiss us in your grace in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.